Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I have James Dudley of James Dudley Guided Hunts on the on the other end of the line. Uh, the last time I talked to you on a podcast, James, uh, you had killed a big giant buck, I believe, two two seasons ago in 2015. You killed a big giant coos deer buck, beautiful big buck, uh, velvet buck. Um, how you doing? Oh, I'm good, Jay. How are you? Good. I know you've been traveling around with your uh, with your day job, traveling all over the country, and um, uh, your job allows you to, to work a lot, but it also allows you to have some nice time off. Um, last time we talked, you had killed that big, beautiful buck um, with your bow and arrow, and um, I had the privilege of, oh, it seemed like a month or so after that, or maybe more, um, meeting up with you and getting to see that buck in person. Just, just a beautiful buck. Where's that buck at now? Yeah, so I... Uh have that buck displayed over at arizona archery club um one of my buddies is the co-owner daniel willett over there and so i figured i'd set it over there so people can see it instead of uh and just putting it in my house so instead of hoarding it (laughs) yeah instead of hoarding it and uh (laughs) it gives me a reason to go over there and shoot my bow a couple times a week so that's uh where it's at right now Good for you. Um, that buck, if I remember, that was like a hundred and twenty some inch buck. Um, what did that buck end up scoring, or did you ever have it scored? Um, yeah. So I had uh your buddy Brian Rimza score it for me after uh I had it freeze dried and mounted and everything. I took it over there, and he it ended up grossing just under one thirty. Um, and uh. Yeah, I was actually, it's funny that you asked that, I was actually surprised when I got it back from the the uh, freeze dryer how much, how light it was and then how much it actually shrunk the antlers. There, There's a lot of water and stuff in those antlers that I never oh, knew was sure. going to happen. So when I took it to you, I, I don't know if you remember, but it was really light. They sucked all yeah. that water out and it kind of shrinks it a little bit. Yeah, you know, um, it's. Um, I just got my Muley Crazy magazine, uh, and there was an article in there from uh, by Ryan Hatch, and I, I he made some really good points. And one of the points was, you know, velvet bucks that are shot, or you know, the the antlers are full of blood, and they're still growing. Um, and it, it it is amazing to see the difference. Um, you know, in in, the, in your case, when you know you got your velvet freeze dried. Um, how much it orig- you know shrinks from the original position that it was or the size that it was um, and in no way does that mean that your buck isn't a giant buck I mean a buck in the 130s is is everybody's dream uh, for sure and regardless of score it doesn't even matter that that's a giant buck in anybody's book um, I remember I remember the story of that buck and uh, you know, you're you're a coos deer fanatic, um, a lot like myself. Um, and one thing I would ask you, you know, that buck is, you know, a buck of a lifetime. Um, how hard is it now that you know you shot that buck? Um, has it increased your desire to go find other giant bucks more, or has it deflated you in a way that it's like, golly, I'll, you know, I'll probably never beat that ever again. Um, curious curious your thoughts on that 
Yeah, well, I mean, I just think that I can still go out there and find giant coos deer. Um, will I ever find one that big again? I mean, I hope so. I think so. Even when I killed that buck, I told Trevor that this wasn't going to be the once-in-a-lifetime buck that everyone says it is. I still think I know there's bigger deer out there. So we both try to go find those big deer all the time. Um, we've got a couple good deer we've been watching for a few years. And I mean, I never, uh, that didn't deflate me at all. Um, the one thing it did do is make me focus on getting a giant mule deer to match them. So I just put in for my, all my points are going to the strip from now on and that makes it easy. (laughs) Nice. Are you going to do, um, the archery strip? tag um you know this year i did not put in for that hunt i just put in for the rifle hunt just because i'm going to be pretty busy during that archery that early archery deer season already and um i didn't want to find out you know kind of last minute that oh yeah you got this archery strip tag and take away from some of the other stuff that i already have planned yeah it's one of those things you know when you get a tag like that you you'd like to be able to focus and put all your attention into it for sure. Um, now I know you guys, um, you've got some, uh, archery elk hunters. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you've got already planned for this fall and, and, um, how are things looking? What is your outlook? Uh, et cetera. Yeah. So for this fall, we've got three archery elk tags. Um, that I've just been hammering the hills right now, trying to scout for. And then uh, a couple late season archery bull tags also, and then one late season rifle bull tag. So we're gonna be busy with bulls this year and that's the way I like it. So um, yeah, I'm excited about elk this year. Cool, what units are you gonna be focusing on uh, this fall for elk the most? Um, we got tags in unit eight, uh, 22 and 21. So kind of spread out a little bit, but, uh, with all this moisture that we've been getting, that's, I know it's going to be a good year for elk. So I'm really excited for that. Good. Um, how is it looking out there in, in those units? Um, specifically each one, uh, does any one look better than the other? Uh, you know, kind of give me your forecast or, or your prognosis on the feed and, and, you know, maybe compare it to other years. How, you know, number one is which, which one looks the best. Uh, number two is how do they compare, um, from other years? Okay. Um, yeah, for me by far, unit eight is looking like it's going to be awesome this year. It seems like every couple days they've been getting rain, um, throughout the entire year so far. So once that snow melted, they just kept getting rain showers nonstop every day. I check the weather up there or I'm up there and the grasses are green and tall and it's, it looks better than it ever has. Um, and then the other units, I mean, it's not as much moisture in those units for sure, but uh, they, they both look really good too um there's still green grasses in both of those units where 
um, even in the desert, if you go out and look, uh, in the canyons, you know, you'll find green grass where normally it's dead grass. Well, that's good to hear. Um, unit eight is one of those units that's, it's kind of a fickle unit. I mean, it's, it's hot or cold. It's, it's, you know, one day it can be hot, one day it can be cold. It's been my experience in there, but you know, it's one of those units that it can have some big bulls. Um, you know, that with, you know, Sycamore Canyon there with, you know, they can drop off in places where they can go hide a little bit and there is some thick country. Um, yeah. and you know, some, some giants have come out of there and it's one of those units. I, I feel like the last, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years, probably it's, it's kind of been the little stepchild a little bit of nine and 10. Um, but I remember, you know, years ago it, it used to be, you know, it used to be a real contender, and I, I would argue that, you know, fairly low tag numbers and such, um, you know, at any given time, a giant could come out of there. Yeah, there's still great bulls in that unit, and like you said, there's some good hiding spots for them, and then once the rut hits, you know, these big bulls just show up that, that have been hiding, you know, in the pine trees or in the big canyons that you don't really see them the rest of the year. So, um, yeah, I've been up there a lot lately. Check, or I've already set a bunch of cameras and been glassing and looking for sheds and that type of stuff. So, uh, that's, that's what I'm, I've been focusing on for the past, uh, couple months actually. Yeah. You guys had last, I believe it was last fall. You guys had a late season elk hunter, um, I believe in unit seven East, um, that's historically not known for great bulls and you guys killed just a whopper of a bull. I'm wondering if you could share that story with us. And then for the listeners, the coos deer nuts out there that are just dying to hear the coos deer <laughs> stuff, uh, we're going to hear some elk stories first and then we'll get to the coos deer. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So last year, uh, we had a client in seven East for that late, rifle bull tag and um you know i had been scouting it really hard and i've been finding some pretty good bulls actually um a couple bulls over 350 uh and that we were actually planning on hunting and then i got up there a couple days before the hunt and i was out checking trail cameras and glassing and i went to a the far end one of the far ends of the unit to uh go check a camera and i was like well i'll check that camera once it gets dark i'm gonna go hike up on this hill right now while there's still some light and glass and see what i can find and um ended up glassing up that big bull that we ended up shooting um and went down checked the camera had a bunch of trail cam pictures of him knew that he was staying in that area and so we uh, put all of our eggs into that basket. Obviously, he was he's a giant bull. And uh, judging from the video and the pictures I had from him, I figured he was going to be close to a 400-inch bull. And uh, the first day of the hunt, we went out there and could not find him. Um, I don't know. I think he was just bedded somewhere, then never never got up to where we could find him. Um, but on, I think it was the second or third day, um, 
one of my guys, Trevor, ended up glassing him up at like first light, and um, we were able to get the hunter who had actually been hunting. He, I think, he'd been on like fifteen elk hunts um, in his life, and he never uh, able to kill a bull. So he just wanted a bull. That's all he wanted. He, he was from Missouri. He's like 63 years old. Great guy. And he just wanted any bull. And, um, and here you guys are grinding it out for this giant, oh, yeah. probably seeing some other bulls. And he's like, well, what about that one? Oh yeah. Yep. That, <laughs> that was, that was it. I, um, I know I just cut off right in the middle of that story, but I actually found a shed on that trip and it was from like a 315 bull. And I'm like, Hey, Denny, He's like, dang, I'd really like to take that back to uh, Missouri with me. And I'm like, well, you can take it back to Missouri with you if we don't shoot a big bull for you. And he just thought it was the biggest antler he had ever seen in the world. And I was like, yeah, that's that's a nice antler, but that's only about a 315 bull. And he was just blown away. So he he just wanted any bull. And um, anyways, back to the story. Trevor glasses bull up. Uh, about 7 a.m., um, he came down the hill from his glassing spot and took the hunter with him on, I think it was about an eight-hour uh, stock. And that's something that I want to talk about with Coosier and elk is patience. Um, this was a rifle tag. We, we were in a spot where we couldn't shoot from very far away. Uh, we had to get close to this bull. We had to play the wind and they were literally, we glassed the bull up at 7 a.m. and Trevor took the guy out and we got up high and communicated through text message and kind of told him where the bulls were bedded. Uh, and he was able to get in close and waited out, waited out. And finally at like 3 p.m., the bull stood up and showed himself and then they had to make a quick move. And then the hunter Denny made uh, a great shot and dropped him. And, uh, he ended up being a 390 inch typical six by six bull, um, in a unit that is not known for big bulls. There's like 500, 550 tags in there at that time of year. And they just get knocked down every year. So, Uh, Yeah, I remember when that bull was shot. I think you sent me a photo, and you were like, "It's like a 380." I'm like, "That thing looks bigger than 380," if I remember right. And you were kind of downplaying it, you know, and just a giant typical six. If you guys um, go on James underscore Dudley 12, you can see on 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 James's uh, Instagram account. uh, There's a bunch of pictures, and then. James Dudley guided hunts.com. Um, there's a bunch of pictures of it, but that, that's just an amazing bull, beautiful, typical bulls got, you know, all kinds of character with, you know, the wavy main beams and, and, you know, I love his eye guards, how, how much curl and, you know, character that they have, how much they tip up. I mean, his seconds look like they're, you know, 21 inches long or something. Um, just a heck of a bull, heck of a story. And, you know, so you glassed that bull up before you had even known that he was there, and then you went and checked the camera, and sure enough, you had pictures of him too. That had to be 
pretty rewarding in the fact that you glass them up, then you go check cameras, and then you have, you know, you have photos right there to show, you know, not only the hunter, but your buddies and other guides, like, you know, this is the real deal. I just saw him on the hoof and, and, you know, and we have trail cam, like he's here. Yeah. He, he was there and, um, he was actually, so I glassed him up and then I went and I, I like to, you know, glass the last light no matter where I'm at and then go deal with all the trail camera checking at night just because there's nothing else you can really do. So, um, as soon as I got there, we checked that, I checked that camera and, um, he was on it the night before and he was still, he was probably 300, 400 yards away from that camera. So, and I had pictures, you know, from him hitting that camera for the past couple of weeks. So I knew he wasn't going far. I knew that as long as nobody bumped him, we were, there was a really good chance that we were going to find him during the hunt couple questions i would have um when you got pictures of him uh, on the camera was he by himself or was he with other bulls and and that that's number one question yeah on the camera he was by himself um okay so he was always by himself and when and and when when did you mainly get the pictures of him um at night he was he was coming in and hitting salt at night um and nothing really during the day i think i got a couple pictures from one morning but um he would come in at night and hit salt and then go sleep all day um do you think um, do you think him coming in at night was a function of him being a long ways away from there or do you think it was more of a function of he was nocturnal and didn't move much you know didn't move a lot he wasn't far from the camera where the camera yeah. was, but he just didn't move. Is that what you think? Yeah, he he wasn't far. He I know he never he never went too far. Um, he stayed right around there, and would just come in at night just because that that was he was nocturnal. He he would sleep all day and um, come into the salt at night. Um, and actually, he did end up meeting up with four or yeah, three other bulls. Um, the day that we ended up shooting him, he was with, uh, a couple five by fives and a smaller six by six that, um, he was, he was with all day while we were making that stock on him, which, uh, made it more difficult because like I said, we did have to get close, um, in order to actually get a shot on him. When you guys actually got him shot and got him killed, um, did you have enough time to kind of look at the area where he was shot and, and, and see if, you know, you could see all sorts of his tracks all around there and that he was just really locked in on that spot and that's where he was hanging out. And I guess yep. where I'm going, going with that is like, you know, in that circumstance, potentially those bulls, you know, they kind of like to just, those big bulls, I think late, they, they don't move a lot. And if you can find those little pockets, a lot of time, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you could go back and find that bull's sheds right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's it. Exactly. Um, he, he did not move. Uh, he wanted to stay right there in that spot. He knows that spot and that's where he lived for that time of year. And that was actually one of my, uh, things I was going to talk about 
later on is the big bulls and coos deer. I find them together in the same type of country and same canyons. And it seems like neither one of them really move a whole bunch, um, during that time of year. Uh, and this guy, that's, that's the way he was. I actually, once we killed that bull, um, a guy hit me up, a guy that lives in Flagstaff and he had the sheds from that bull from the last year and he knew exactly where he could tell from the background of the pictures and stuff but the, that guy's sheds were within a couple hundred yards of where we ended up killing him um that's from really that good good year. information right there to i think for people to understand how small sometimes those core areas can be and that's also one of those things that you know guys out there that do a lot of shed hunting i mean if you find a really yeah. good set of set of sheds you know make sure you're glassing into those areas um and, and trying to find those bulls because more than likely that's that's their home um and then certainly if you could find you know a couple sets of sheds or at least you know one side or the other i mean you, you basically have thrown a blanket over his home and you just gotta you know surround that because more than likely um, unless he got shot and, you know, was in the back of a pickup going to Ohio or something, he's right. going to, you know, be right there. Um, mm -hmm. very, very good stuff. The, so the sheds, were they from the year before? And I'm curious, um, you, you know, how much growth from that year to the year you killed him, did he put on? He, so the guy that had the sheds, um, from, let's see, it would have been the year or whatever the yeah that same that year before um had him at about a 370 bull and then the year that we killed him he was right at 390 so he put on like 20 inches um, where, where that, did you see it is, did you actually get to see the sheds or just pick yeah them? um time length um so all of the times yeah yep uh he actually had a kicker coming off of his fifth the year before like four inches and he lost that the year that we got him but his time length um he grew a lot in time length that year that we got him um and he just he was kind of a weird bull because of his time his tines were so long um his main beams aren't that long he's got a giant whale tail like the huge whale tail and then um, his mass wasn't what I thought it was. His mass isn't as big as uh, it should be for a bull with crazy time length like that. And that's where he didn't make the 400 because of his, uh, his mass and his main beams were not quite as long as I thought they were. Just a beautiful, big, beautiful six-point. Um, it, it's funny how some bulls... You know, his points are really long, but they look long because he's not super heavy. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's just amazing that a bull like that did not break, you know, didn't break his points um, as long as they are. And, you know, not a ton of mass, just a beautiful six that, you know, he he made it through that whole rut and never broke a point. That's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, awesome stuff. Uh good stuff that gets my blood going uh james the 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 main reason i wanted to have you on the podcast today is i um we've got the uh deer uh draw um 
for Arizona is deer and sheep uh, coming out, or excuse me, is is um, the the deadline is uh, Tuesday, June 13th, coming up here in a day or two, and I wanted to talk to you uh, about coos deer, and you are a coos deer nut, and um, you specifically like uh, Unit 21 and Unit 6A, and um, I, I would like to kind of break down uh, both of those units uh, for, for listeners out there that um, either haven't hunted that either one of those units or, you know, were interested in those units. Um, if you could kind of break them down uh, and you can start with whichever unit you want. And I may pick away as, as you're talking about each unit and ask you questions about it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll start with 6A. Um, there's two coos deer hunts um, for the early season, and then there's the late rifle, which is uh, December 15th through the 31st. Um, the two early seasons, uh, one has 150 tags. The other one has 125 tags. Uh, they're both seven-day seasons. Uh, first one's October 27th through November 2nd. Um, and that one, if you have anywhere close to three or four bonus points, you should have a good chance of drawing it. Uh, I think four points is a hundred percent for non-resident or resident. Um, and let's see the other, the later hunt in December, that rut hunt, it looks like it takes eight points, um, and uh, seven for residents, eight for non-residents. Um, and that late hunt, it says that there's a 60% success rate on the late hunt and a 30% success rate on those early hunts. And to me, that seems low um, for that unit. I think that um, the guys are spending too much time on the roads um, up in the pine trees. Uh, the north end of 6A is pretty much uh, flat pine trees and lots of roads. Um, it's more mule deer country than coos deer country. Uh, we like to hunt the south end of the unit. There's a bunch of big canyons that run into... Uh, the Verde River. So my advice would be to get off the road and hike over at least one ridge uh, and start glassing those big uh, nasty canyons to the south end of the unit. James, um, you bring up a good point there. You know, 6A to me um, is one of those units. I know there's giant bucks in 6A. Um, and I was kind of a little bit shocked to see um, y you had brought it up. I knew we were going to be talking about 6A, and I hadn't really paid attention to it um, as of as of late. And um, to hear that, you know, there, there's the October hunt with only 150 tags, and then a second, you know, a November hunt with 125 tags, um, that seems like low tag numbers for a quality unit like 6A. Um, and then I'm you had already mentioned I'm looking at the Go Hunt Insider um, draw odds, and it, you know it looks like that 6A um, 6A late hunt with eight points last year was a guaranteed for draw. 
uh, the October hunt, it looks like seven points was a guarantee and three points was a 58% chance. Uh, and then that November 10th uh, hunt, uh, it was with three points, it was a 50-50 shot of getting the tag and 100% with five. Um, pretty low tag numbers as far as, you know, you know, 6A is a big, you know, even if you say most of the coos deer are in the southern part of the unit, you know, 150 to 125 tags, even in the southern part of 6A, if you jammed everybody in there, um, there's a lot of country. I mean, that 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 seems like a, a pretty, you know, for for the amount of big deer that are there, it seems like a pretty dang good quality hunt. Yeah, it is. Um, that whole southern half of the unit and the the eastern half of the unit too. Um, it's just great coosier country, and six A is one of the biggest uh, units in the state square miles wise and um if you look just south of there into unit 21 there's like uh 650 tags i think and then just up the hill in 6a there's only 300 or 275 350 something like that and so um i think that those two early hunts are uh really underrated i guess just because there's so much land available and so little hunting pressure um and there's also two wilderness areas in 6a um wet beaver creek and clear creek and they both have a lot of hiking trails uh and good access points to get to the wilderness area and you can actually glass very well from either one of the uh, of those wilderness areas Uh, there's trails you can hike and glass from so i would recommend those two spots also don't you think um you know it's just a function of people you know, it's, it, those, it would make a great backpacking unit. People that want to, you know, get away for two or three or four days. Um, there's, there's actually quite a bit of water around. Um, you know, you could find a spring, you can find stock tanks, you could find, uh, water and, and, you know, I'm surprised. It, it, it seems like the, you know, that seems like a sleeper to me. Uh, cause I know some of the big bucks giants over the years that have come out of there. Uh, for someone that's, you know, really wanting to work at it, um, I, I think there's definitely some diamonds in the rough there. Uh, 6A is, is a unit that you run some cameras in, you do some glassing, and, and uh, you're familiar with, and uh, you would love to take a client in 6A, right? Oh, definitely. Uh, last year we had a client in 6A, and we were on hundred plus inch deer all day every day um and it was kind of funny we would have you know one guy up top glassing um towards this flat where there was a bunch of coos deer hanging out on the flat and uh we would one guide would go over with our client and we would kind of communicate and tell them what the deer if the deer are feeding or bedding or whatever and uh these deer on this flat were so they're older age class deer and they were smart um there was one road that split the flat that they were living on and you had to drive up this road 
in order to get to the flat and uh there was a bunch of guys that would road hunt that road that would split that flat and the deer would be out feeding in the wide open and all of a sudden they would they would stop and look around like they're all nervous and trying to figure out why are, why why is he getting nervous why are all these deer getting nervous and they could hear the rhino or the ranger coming up the hill and before that rain, ranger even got to the flat they would literally walk 50 yards into this big huge grove disappear the rhino would drive right through within probably 40 yards of these deer go down the other side of the flat and then all the deer would come back out this wow. happened for like five days in a row i i was one up on the hill watching and glassing all this go on and, and it got to be a uh, comical because i would know somebody would be coming up that road before i could even see them or hear them or anything just by the way the deer were acting they would stop feeding and look directly over to where that that quad was gonna pop up and they would hide before the 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 quad even popped up onto the flat. So was this hunt uh, a December hunt? You know, this hunt was actually um, early archery. It was in the last week of August last year. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that was the archery, archery client. Um, and one other thing about that hunt that was uh, eye-opening, well, I always knew this, but... It's just more proof that these Cooser have this really tight, small home range. And a couple times uh, we would be out on that flat chasing these deer and they would catch wind of us or we would jump one or, you know, miss a shot or something like that and uh, spook them out of there. And one time I watched these deer, two big old bucks run for probably a mile and a half maybe even farther than that just sprinting non-stop they did not stop and i'm like well that's the last we're ever going to see of those deer they're never coming back and not 10 minutes later both of them were trotting straight back to the exact same spot where they just were so they ran as far as they could for five minutes stopped there for i don't know maybe 10 minutes and realized that they didn't like it out there and they trotted all the way back to like the same bushes that they had been hanging out in all all summer really that's um really good information and observation there and something that you know everyone should listen to and the fact that you know we've heard it time and time again where guys have and i i talked about this on this last podcast with Dwayne adams talking about coos deer in the in southern arizona units and um it's a great lesson that you know you think you spook bucks and they run off but they're so habitual to their home range that more times than not if you be patient you know you're you're talking about a circumstance in 10 minutes um but even you know the next day or the day after don't give up on those deer because where you see them usually is in their home range um, unless, you know, you're talking about the rut where they're, you know, on a walk, checking does and moving all around, you know, if you see a big buck, the best place that you can look for him is sitting on the same rock or the same exact spot and just stay, you know, stay focused on that area where, you know, I've talked about on this podcast, if you're a sheep hunter, 
I think the worst place to look for a big ram is the last place you saw them. Those rams are so nomadic, they move all over, and they're never in the same spot. It's the exact opposite, I think, with these coos deer. And, and even, I would say, some of those late elk, you know, like that bull that you guys killed, you know, on those late hunts, for whatever reason, those bulls, they find those places that are secluded. They find those places where they've got some, you know, shelter and, and you know, food and water and, and they, they find a place they like, they find a place they can survive, and they stay there. They don't move around. They're smart enough to know that if they move too much, they're going to get killed. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, there's a lot of similarities between a big bull and a big coos deer. If they have water close by um, and they're in a big nasty canyon, there's no reason for them to ever leave except for the rut. So if you can find a place that has a natural spring in, in a big canyon, um, in 6A or, you know, 21, one of those two areas, most likely, uh, there's going to be coos deer right around there. They're going to live within a mile of these water sources. And a lot of times you'll find a big bull. If I'm glassing and I, and I find a big bull out of the blue and I know that that's where he's spending his winter, uh, a lot of times a big buck will pop up in the exact same canyon. Just they, there's, they hang out in the exact same type of terrain in, in the central Arizona. I think it's one of those things that they, they, they require some of the similar things and they feel safe, you know, they feel safe in those pockets and it just so happens that they co-mingle and they both feel safe in there. And I think that's a great observation that you bring to the table there. Uh, 6A, um, my interpretation of 6A, say on that last week of the December hunt, say Christmas on, because it's more northern and in, 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 you know, it, it, it's, it's one of the further north units with Cooster in it, I could definitely see them acting a lot more ruddy um, in those yeah. last, you know, five to seven days, whereas, you know, maybe the southern Arizona units that are a little more south, um, you know, typically they they're not rutting till January and and I would I would even argue that 6A deer are rutting better in January but I think with the right conditions if you had cold clear you know you know crisp you know real cold uh, temperatures you know with with some snow and some different fronts coming in I could sure see that last 5 to 7 days um seeing those deer act ruddy have you had any experience um hunting them that late yeah, um, I have. I actually shot a coos deer with my bow a couple of years ago on, I think, December like 29th or 30th, something like that. And the deer that I shot him, he was checking his scrape line. He had a scrape line in that area, and I found it, and I set a blind up there. And um, sure enough, a few bucks came through, um, and they were moving all day i had can't i had a camera set up there too and if it gets cold like like you said around christmas they can definitely start um rutting behavior that last week of december it's every year I, you can you can go out there and find deer that are acting ruddy for sure yeah um any anything else you want to say about 6a before we go uh, move on 21 uh, no, I think I think we covered it. Okay, before we get to 21, uh, I just want to take a second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast. 
I recently did an episode with the guys from GoHunt.com and uh, they have uh, created the uh, GoHunt gear shop and if you use the JScott promo code when you sign up for an insider membership you're going to get a $50 store credit at the GoHunt gear shop and they're, they're carrying a bunch of hand-picked field-tested gear and you can go on their website, uh, GoHunt.com, and check it out. Uh, you also get free shipping. You get good technical support from the guys that are using the gear. Uh, Trail, Trail Kreitzer and, and some of the guys there at GoHunt, you can actually call and talk to them on the phone about the gear. Uh, and it's a it's a new thing that they're doing, and uh, they they actually have a surprisingly uh, amount of great gear uh, on their site. I encourage uh, the listeners to go check it out. Not only is Go Hunt uh, an incredible resource for draw odds, harvest statistics, you know, finding hin- hidden gem units, uh, but now they're going to be able to offer. Uh, a, a store for their uh, insider members as well as as uh, people that aren't insider members uh, but the the beauty if you're an insider member is you actually for everything you purchase you get uh, basically uh, a store credit or you get reward points for um, uh, for everything you buy and they have an example on there where you buy you know basically two things a sleeping pad and a and a pack and you end up getting uh, you know a sleeping pad for free by using your points and they're in essence giving back to the insider members giving that you know instead of taking the profits from you know the the resale of the items they are giving that back uh, the rewards back to the the members so check it out use the J Scott promo code and get automatically a $50 store credit I want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for their uh, sponsorship of this podcast and remind you that the uh, Kuyu um, mobile showroom is actually traveling uh, all around the western U.S. and the central U.S. and They are going to be in Spokane, Washington, uh, June 15th through the 17th, Missoula, Montana, Boise, Idaho, Idaho Falls, uh, July 6th through the 8th, Bozeman, Montana, the 13th through the 15th, uh, and then Denver, Colorado Springs, Omaha, and a bunch of different cities. You can go on kuyu.com to check them out. Uh, the, the Kuyu Mobile Showroom is going to have every single piece of Kuyu gear in every size. So you can go try on their boots, you know, the, the new R Evolution boots, the Rebel Ks. Uh, you can go try and pack, see which pack size you are, see which, you know, size pack you like. You know, go try on all of the gear and um, you can order the gear right there uh, also. And uh, I want to thank them for their sponsorship of the podcast. I also want to thank Phonescope.com, Cheston Davis. Uh, If you use the JScott16 promo code, you're going to get 10% discount on all uh, products there through Phonescope.com. And uh, the Outdoorsman's Cody Nelson, they are the optics authority there in Phoenix. Uh, If you use the JScott promo code, you're going to get 10% discount. And Cody and his crew do an unbelievable job. Uh, they just got a bunch of BTXs in, I know, and um, Swarovski BTXs, as well as um, that new thing we're calling the Hockey Puck, which is a 1.7 magnifier. They're, they're starting to get some of those in. So um, use the J. Scott promo code there, and you guys are going to get 10% discounts. Um, James, 
Let's talk about 21. Um, I've spent some time in 21. Uh, you really like Unit 21. What is it about Unit 21 that you like so much? Um, you know, I started hunting it, I don't know, 12, 12 years ago probably, just because it was close to my house and I knew that there was coos deer out there. Um, and that being said, there's a lot of different terrain in Unit 21. Um, you have the desert floor. Um, I've seen coos deer down in the very bottom at like 2,000 feet elevation um, all the way up to, uh, I think, the top of Squaw Peak is 6,000 feet. So the whole unit covers or holds coos deer. Um, I would stay away from the real flat stuff, but I mean, there, there's tons of country that, um, people don't get into. It's, it's rough country. Um, there's big, nasty canyons and it seems like people don't really go back into that thick, nasty stuff. And that it, it holds a lot of big deer. Uh, there's some big deer in 21. There's dang sure some big deer in 21. Um, you know, something that's interesting is this new structure uh, where, you know, October 27th through November 2nd in 21, there's 325 tags. And then November 3rd through November 9th, there's 325 tags. But then the late hunt in December, there's only 30 tags. Um, and, you know, something Dar was pointing out the other day, uh, my hunting partner is, you know, they also have uh, a mule deer hunt uh, that goes on in 21, and it is, let me look here, it is November 10th through November 16th, and then there's also 10 mule deer tags that are uh, the same time during that 30 tag, you know, quote-unquote rut hunt, December 15th right. to the 31st, so you know, gets a fair amount of pressure um, compared to the unit we were just talking about in 6A, but it yeah. has a ton of country. I, I wouldn't say the densities, and I'm curious your opinion, I mean, it's a real pockety kind of unit. I mean, you get some country that looks really good and you can't find many deer, and then you'll find, you know, pockets of them. It's not like a unit, I, I'm actually surprised they have as many tags as they do because I feel like you know that the, the amount of tags that they have compared to the amount of deer is, is is lopsided. Now you know obviously they're biologists and they know more about it than I do, um, but it it seems like quite a few tags. But with that being said, it's still one of those units that's so rough. And this is my perspective, and then I want to get yours. It's so rough that there's always places that if you're willing to really hike and really work that you know, you can really find some good deer. Yeah, that's that's the key to this unit is you have to hike um, if you want to find big deer. You can always luck into one, but consistently if you hike into these canyons, uh, you can find big deer. Um, I have one canyon that I hunt a lot, and in January this year, I hiked in there in the dark, spent the night, woke up, at first light and had four deer within 50 yards of my tent and i ended up glass i didn't i didn't hunt i just glassed that whole day from one spot ended up glassing over 40 deer 
um, just in one spot in one Canyon. And, uh, that for central Arizona unit, that's, that's a lot of deer for one Canyon. Um, how were and, they really rutting? Was it? Really, yeah, they really were, they were going crazy. They're canyon the always has crazy deer. What was the date? Um, that was, okay. that was the middle of the month. That was probably the 12th, 13th or 14th, something like that. And then that same Canyon, we spent a lot of time in and they, they rut, they rut it all the way through the end of the hunt. I mean, I was out there the last day of the hunt or last day of January. And it was the same thing. They were going crazy all over the place. But that being said, that Canyon, I've hunted that Canyon for five years and I've never seen, it's a hike in only Canyon and I've never seen not even a person, not anything, not a horse. I've never even seen a boot track back there. So ever in five years and I'm back there constantly checking cameras and glassing and people just don't get back that far. And that's one of those so, things that it, it it has those areas that just people don't go. It's just too rough. It's too rugged. Um, but it can have some incredible hunting. Um, and it, it gets a ton of pressure. Uh, but there's still, like you said, you haven't even seen a boot track in five years. And that's one thing about 21 that I think is different than a lot of units in that there is some stuff there that literally nobody goes into and oh yeah when you when you find areas like that i think that's where you can find giant deer yeah um there's two hiking only wilderness areas cedar bench and pine mountain wilderness um one time i this was probably five years ago i didn't have a tag and i didn't know anybody that had a tag and it was during i think it was a weekend of the rifle coos deer hunt and i was going back into pine mountain to check a camera and you got to take Dugas road like 20 miles to get back up in there and i probably passed a hundred campsites um and rangers and rhinos and people all over the place and i had a dog one of my dogs with me and i was like hesitant to even go hike around with my dog because there was 650 tags then and i i don't, I don't know i don't like that many people out there at one time and i was like yeah i'll be all right i'll just stay on that trail and i tied a bunch of orange to my dog's collar and um hiked into pine mountain three miles checked my camera hiked out three miles and didn't see one person the whole time i was back there and on dugas road there was hundreds of people driving around yeah so that just shows right there that um, if you want to ditch the people, you got to get off the road. Those, the Dugas Road and Bloody Basin Road are the two popular ones in 21. And yeah, there's Cooter around there, but you got to get off that main road if you want to find them. For sure. Let's talk a little bit about access in 21. You mentioned the Dugas Road. Um, you mentioned the Bloody Basin Road. Kind of explain to the listeners if they're not familiar, um, kind of, you know, you've got I-17 obviously running up the west side of the unit, um, but then t- tell the listeners several of the access points and, and even talk about um, the Pine Mountain Wilderness as well. Okay. So most of the coos there in the unit are over by the Verde Rim, which is basically in the center of the unit. Um, 
to get there, you know, take I-17, and then you're going to have to take either Dugas or Bloody Basin east until you get back up into those, uh, that Verde Rim area. Um, even though there, there are coos deer, that whole stretch from 17, 18 to 20 miles from I-17 over the Verde Rim, there's coos deer all up along there. But if you want to get away from the people, it, the best thing to do is hunt that the downward side of uh, that Verde Rim. I mean, once you can get back there, there's there's nobody else back there. You're talking um, about dropping off towards Camp Verde. Yeah, dropping off towards Camp Verde, um, or you can you can come in from that Camp Verde side. There's a couple roads that you can find that will get you back over there, or um, drop in off Bloody Basin or off Dugas or even come up through Seven Springs and you can access that backside of that Verde Rim that way and have way less people out there just because it's a lot harder to get to. But I mean, we're talking for, some of these roads, you know, they're, they're maintained, you know, county main, I don't know if they're county maintained or forest service maintained, but you know, they, they scrape them every once in a while, but talking about teeth rattling you know jar, <laughs> yeah. jarring every vertebrae in your back loose type of yeah. you know pothole roads um you know and it, that's the thing even, even like those um we're talking about deer hunts in 21 but you know you get those elk hunts in 21 it's just so hard to get around not because there's not roads it's just the roads are not you know there's those big malapai rocks and just it's just yep. a challenge because it'll just rip your vehicle apart um but i brutal I think, I think places like that and units like that that are not the country club of you know getting around and and hunting it's it's you can find some big deer i mean um dar's 10 year old boy paul uh his first yeah. coos deer I ever shot you know it was 100 21 inch deer that was shot in unit 21 um and it's it's definitely a unit if you put in a lot of work um you can be rewarded you can also go and hunt and hunt and hunt and you know not find the buck you want too i mean it's it's a pockety unit you talk about 40 deer in one canyon that's not the norm um but no, no, when no. you do find those pockets so it seems like they're once you find the, the if you find the deer it seems like they're there yeah, um, and that's the good thing about this year is, you know, they split it up into these two hunts. Um, and if I had my choice, I would take that first uh, October 27th through the 11th or through November 2nd tag uh, just because they're not, those deer will not have been pressured yet. Um, but I really do like the fact that they split the tag numbers into two hunts um, because it used to just be a zoo out there. It was it was a mess. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking for non-residents in Unit 21, and now this is just talking about last year when it was just the October hunt. Um, right. It, it was basically a hundred percent chance to draw. Now they've yeah. split it into two hunts. It's going to be interesting what that does with the odds because they basically, I think it was 600 tags for the, for the you know the one early hunt. They've split it into two. We talked about this on the podcast with Dwayne Adams, uh, and I did a podcast with the Arizona Ground Pounders 
um, and they were talking about uh, 22 and 23 also having the same three hunt structure and uh, you know from 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 a guide or outfitter's perspective it's great because you have the opportunity to take an October hunter a November hunter and a December hunter um, and, it, and it creates more opportunity and somewhat I can see from a hunter's perspective how you know they can put in for say October 21 you know or 22 and then put in you know third fourth fifth they can you know have a bunch of choices um, the one thing I would say is that you get a new group of gung-ho hunters back-to-back -back weeks and I think it's going to put a little bit more pressure on the resource rather than I would rather have 600 tags in one hunt talking from just kind of like trying to you know give the deer a break type of mentality um, you know most guys hunt a day or two and then they go back to the valley and they're done whereas this is you have you know two groups of 325 people that are gung you know the first group's gung-ho and then it, you know then maybe they go home after two or three days but then you know all of a sudden four or five days later another hunt starts and you've got a whole nother group that's you know gung-ho ready to you know fired up i, I think it's gonna I, th I think it's probably not going to be great for the animals um but i certainly the areas that you're talking about james that are you know way back in there and, and a good hike I think what it's going to do is give opportunities for guys like yourself um, and, and other hardcore hunters that you know want to get a tag that's reasonably easy to draw um, they're going to be able to you know probably shoot a good buck every year because they're going to really be able to work at it but they'll be able to draw it yeah I think the my, I think that them splitting it this year like that, they're gonna. A lot of people are gonna be put in for that first tag, and that the second tag is gonna be pretty easy to draw just because of what you just talked about. Um, but that being said, I wouldn't uh, like shy away from that second tag either, just because of all the deer behavior that. Yeah, I mean, you've talked about on this podcast. We kind of went over it earlier too that they do stick around in the same area. Um, even if people are out there tromping around shooting, um, at animals for a few days or a week, um, if they don't get the buck thereafter, there's a good chance the buck is still going to be in that area. So if you do scout, um, 21 or six a, and you find some bucks, you have that second tag, um, that pressure might make the, these bigger bucks go nocturnal where they're only coming out for the last half an hour of light and going to bed really early in the morning. But I don't, I still don't see them disappearing Leaving. from their, their, their home range. Yeah. I, I think, um, one of the benefits for the second hunt you know, you've got your October hunt, and you've got what I call the second hunt. I think it's November 3rd in this 21. Potentially, it's a week, you know, a week or so later. There's a chance that the temperatures might be a little cooler. Um, and, you know, that's one benefit that I can see for that second hunt is, you know, it's just a little bit later in the year and a, a little bit better chance that, you know, potentially most of the time temperatures in November are a little cooler than they are in October. So from a hunter's, 
you know, pleasant or pleasure, you know, a little more pleasurable time, I think that second hunt's going to be better than the first hunt. I, I think, like you said, one of the benefits of that first hunt is always if you can do your homework and scout, and even if you can't scout, if you can hike into an area, you're pro- you know you're going to get first crack at those bucks. So you know the cream might be taken off the top a little bit on that first hunt, um, but I think if you, for guys that really know what they're doing, I think you can kill a good buck on the first, the second, or that third hunt. Yeah, I think so too. Definitely. Um, this year, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the first year that they have that 21 mule deer, 10 tags at the same time. Is that, is that, am I right? They had it last year too. Um, so last year and then this year, um, I don't know if they're going to keep it normally. I think they, they used to have it over in 22 and 23 and then they stopped that last year and kind of moved it over to 21 for these two years. I got to be honest. I think that would be an incredible tag, you know, 10 mule deer tags. Um, Those deer will definitely be, you know, rutting. Um, They tend to rut a little bit earlier than the coos deer. Curious your thoughts on, you know, do you think they'll be rutting a little bit better than the, than the coos? And do you think it's a pretty good tag? (laughs) Yeah, that's funny that you say that because that's, I put in for two choices this year and it was a 13B rifle tag and that 21 December tag just because I love hunting 21 and I know there's some giant muleys in there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a great tag. I mean, there's only 10 tags. Um, the draw odds on that or did you get, yeah, right here it says it's going to take last year. It took eight points for a resident and nine points for non-resident to, get that tag which still still seems low oh that's the coos deer never mind yeah because i want to edit that i believe it's well it's okay i believe this is the first year they've had that hunt in there so i don't think they actually have the numbers for it oh Um, right but i you know that's kind of a sleeper hunt i think um because there are some you know there's not giant mule deer i mean but for, (laughs) for desert bucks there's some right there's some nice deer in there uh if 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 i remember right too there's no archery hunt in 21 uh in december as well uh let me verify that's correct yeah no that's correct there's there's only those 30 rifle coos deer tags and then those 10 yeah rifle mule deer tags yeah, so I think um, I think the late hunt in there, both for the mule deer and the coos, could be good. Uh, one question I would have for you is: uh, you run a lot of trail cameras in that country. Um, what do you see as far as patterns with those bucks once they once they get out of velvet? As far as do they just do they continue to come in and hit your cameras or do you have a void there where they, you know, they don't come in for a while? Um, curious what kind of patterns you've noticed as far as, you know, do they go nocturnal or do you get, you know, bright sunshine and they're just stand there at 10 o'clock in the morning? What, what kind of pattern can people expect once they're out of the velvet? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when they're in velvet, they're hitting salt all the time. And then like you're saying, as soon as they, rub they kind of uh disappear a little bit um you know coos are are different they they still get up and go 
walk around a little bit in the middle of the day, go get some water. They'll come hit salt, but they definitely lay low after they, after they rub, um, they're harder to find. So, I mean, they're still in the area. They still hit the salt. They still go get water in the middle of the day, but it just seems like they're not as active as, you know, in August. How much of that do you think is a function of, you know, when there's bone growing on their head, they like going and getting, getting a drink, They li- and it's, you know, hotter, obviously, um, and they like licking that salt, but it seems like as soon as they know that that bone, you know, is hardening up and they, you know, they're not growing bone, it seems like they immediately pull off the salt, and it's just funny how y- you hear everybody say the same mm-hmm. thing, that their observation is that same thing, but you know, a lot of people think, oh, the deer left, and I think you make a great point. It's just not coming to the salt, or yeah. it's just not coming to the water as much. Yeah, like that, the winter months, um, I mean, the coos deer will still come hit the salt, but not like an elk or anything, but they'll just come and mess around and smell stuff for a little while, whereas, a, you know, an elk will sit there for days and just lick all of your salt, but... um yeah, I don't know why they why they do that, but I've noticed it, and I know that a lot of other coos deer hunters notice the same thing. I want to ask you a question, put you on the spot a little bit. I know that the trail camera thing has been big, and you know a lot of people talking about the game and fish potentially doing something, and I've kind of gone on record here on the podcast saying. I think they need to do something in the strip units and maybe unit nine for elk in those, you know, high traffic areas where the, you know, you've got your game and fish trick tanks and, you know, you've got 10, 12, 15 cameras on, on, on the fence. Um, but it, it would, in my mind, it would kind of be a shame to ban trail cameras altogether. Um, curious. Well, let me back up. I think it'd be, I think it would be, a bad deal to, to ban them altogether because there's a lot of guys like yourself that are in some of these central Arizona type units or even southern Arizona type units that are walking a long ways going and finding these springs these little puddles of water and things that you're not interfering with anybody else's hunt and that's where my thing with trail cameras comes up is when it starts interfering with other people's hunts that's where we need to say you know have we gone too far but circumstances where I know you run trail cameras and you run them in, you know, places two, three, four, five miles in the middle of nowhere where nobody even knows where your camera is. No, you never see another person. Um, you know, to me, it seems like it would be sad if they did eliminate trail cameras. What's your thoughts on trail cameras? You don't have to agree with me, by the way. Right. Um, so I enjoy everything about trail cameras um i am a glutton for punishment the other night i had a 102 pound pack uh, myself and my hunting partner packed salt and uh cameras back into one of these canyons and spent the night um in the dirt and just a miserable more. night with the bugs oh, yeah. buzzing you bugs. and scorpions crawling in your yeah. bags and everything yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. Bugs, um, <laughs> thermocells, me spraying my face with bug spray in the middle of the night, <laughs> all that stuff. Um, wake up and go hike some more and 
set out salt and trail cameras and all that stuff where nobody is ever going to mess with them or go find them or I'm not going to bother anybody else by doing it. So, and there's nothing better than going and checking a trail camera that actually works right and you have a bunch of great pictures on there. It's like, it's the closest thing to Christmas morning for a kid that I'm ever going to, you know, deal with in my lifetime. So I love trail cameras. That being said, I specifically avoid those um, big um, big units where there is an issue with them. I mean, I don't have an issue with them because I don't go out there. I don't guide there. I don't, I've very rarely even gone into those units um, just because of the, you know, competitiveness. And I don't, that everybody else can have them. I don't, I don't need to all that and I'm, I'm doing this for fun so not i don't i don't know what the right answer is i think uh there's some guys out there saying that you know pull them down before the season starts in these certain units i think that sounds like a good idea but i mean for me to comment and have my own opinion on it when i don't even hunt out there um i don't know i just hope that nothing affects the entire state because it's not an issue throughout the entire state. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I mean, I think, I think we need to just watch and maybe, you know, figure something out on these, you know, higher impact areas and, um, come to, come to an, a reasonable solution. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully there's, there's no ban, you know, statewide or anything like that. Uh, you had brought up something before the podcast started that you wanted to mention that was leftover tags. And I think that's something that never gets talked about. Um, what's your thoughts on, on leftover tags and you wanted to remind people about. Okay. Um, yeah, every year there are leftover first come first serve rifle coos deer tags. Uh, and they're always in Southern units, um, in Arizona, for different hunts i've participated in these hunts the past couple of years and both times gone down there and taken actually first time hunters into these um, hunts with a leftover tag and found coos deer right off the bat um found a bunch of bucks got some shots kid had a great time another first time hunter had a great time um the only problem is access down there. Like Dwayne Adams said in the last podcast, you know, there's some of these units that you really have to study in order to get back up into the, the coos deer country. But if you don't get drawn for what you put in for, you can always buy a leftover rifle coos deer tag. And there's a lot of national forest down there. I would say that you just find a national forest in that unit that you buy the over-the-counter tag for and find a direct way into that national forest because every gate down there is locked just because you see a road on a map it's going to be locked so if you find an actual way to get into that national forest just go there park and start hiking and um, get up high in glass and I mean there's plenty of deer down there so um it's just a a thing that i'm surprised more people don't take advantage of it and on those hunts there's 
I mean, they're leftover because nobody wants them. And I mean, I've gone down there to 30A and 30B, glossed up tons of coos deer, some nice bears, and there's nobody else out there. Uh, it's it's really it's kind of uh, surprising that nobody takes advantage of those. Yeah, I think that's a good po- point. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground today, uh, 6A and 21. We've talked about some elk. Um, we've had a, had a good podcast. I want to uh, thank you for coming on and uh, sharing some of your knowledge with us. I uh, want to give you a chance to let the listeners know where they can hear about your guide service, where they can follow along. I encourage them to do so. I've known James uh for a couple of years now and really enjoy following them on Instagram. And um, I know you do a great job for your clients. And uh, so James, why don't you tell people where they can uh, learn more about you? Okay. Yeah, I have a, my website is James Dudley guided hunts.com. I have a Facebook page, same thing, James Dudley guided hunts. And uh, my Instagram is probably my favorite thing to do. Um, and that is James Dudley underscore one, two. Um, and you can message me on any of those or my phone numbers out there. So contact me if you have any questions about hunts and anything in Arizona and I can point you in the right direction. I gotta, I gotta bust your chops a little bit. Oh no. Um, there was some pictures floating around there at, at, for a time that the uh, the beard had been shaved off. Oh, yeah. Um. <laughs> Is the beard back? Is it back in action? All right, so it's it's back. It's just not as crazy as it used to be. Um, it's not Duck Dynasty length. No, it's not. I <laughs> I, I cut my hair. All right, so here's the story on that. You kind of hinted at it earlier. Um, I <laughs> I was trying to pick at it. <laughs> I know, but um, I travel for work. I install radiation therapy machines um, for cancer treatment. And so that's how I get so much time off. I'll work for a week, be off for a week. Um, that being said, I used to grow my hair out um, until I could, it was long enough to donate it. And so I would grow it out till it's like 12, 13 inches, cut it off, and do it all over again. And I would do that with my beard too, basically just not get a haircut or shave my beard for like a year and a half and then cut it all off and do it all over again. So this time in December, I cut it up, cut it all off, donated the hair and just was kind of sick of being a hair farm. So right now I have a little, little beard and short hair and that's uh much better for the, for the summer in Phoenix, Arizona. I was going to say if, when you're on those long cooster hikes overnight with 100 pound packs at least you could pull the if you got full beard you could pull all that hair over your face and then they they can't even find you but now yeah. you're, now you're almost for you clean shaven and short hair i know i know hey i guess i'm growing up i don't know <laughs> hey jay one more well, thing if i could yeah yeah all right so the other night i was out checking cameras in 6a and i found a dog um it's somebody's pet. I thought it might have been a hunting dog, but I asked around that community and nobody seems to think it is. Um, check my Instagram. There's a picture of him on there, a couple pictures. Um, it's somebody's pet. He's at my house and he's making a mess of it. So I already have three dogs. 
I don't want four dogs and I need to find his owner or a new home for him. He's a really good dog, but if people can help me out there, look at Facebook or Instagram and there's pictures of this dog that I found uh, close to yeah, Stillman Lake Road. Yeah, he's got something in his mouth. Doesn't he have something in his mouth? Uh, it's probably it's like a, he had a big it's leather like he's collar chewing on, on one of your Swarovski uh, eye cups or something. <laughs> no, all of my optics are up very high in a <laughs> in a closed cabinet right now because you should see what he did to all four dog beds. Um, there, I'm my sure house is covered he's got that look in his eye. <laughs> I know. I need to go check on I, I just want to be now. clear. <laughs> I I think you had said uh, I just want to be clear I think you misspoke on your Instagram handle it's James underscore Dudley twelve and yes, sir. I believe you said I think you said James Dudley underscore twelve but just in case it's James underscore Dudley twelve. Thanks. Yeah, I always get that wrong. Okay. All right, buddy. Uh, it was great having you on. Uh, wish you the best of success this summer in your scouting and. Um, uh, Hope you uh, get some good, uh, you know, tags yourself for deer, and and hopefully get a client or two for deer, and hope you guys bang them up on those elk hunts as well. And look forward to seeing your success. And uh, yeah, God bless you, buddy, and and I'll see you down the road. Okay. All right, you too. Thanks a lot, Jay. All right, take care. All right, bye. Bye.